Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, more questions are being asked about the clearing of tents on East Hastings Street a few weeks ago. And we're going to talk more about this and what people knew about shelter beds that were available at the time. Just before we get to, to our next guest, this is Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim, and he was speaking with Jazz Joe Hall yesterday. Internal emails at Vancouver City Hall in the days leading up to the uh, April dismantling of the encampment showed that there would be not enough beds to shelter people who were displaced. Um, were you aware of that, number one, and did you decide to go ahead with it anyway because it needed to be done? Uh, what was the sort of thinking behind the scenes? Okay, there's probably about three uh, different things yep. that we have to cover. So, first of all, uh, we did make sure that there was enough, you know, and I can't comment as to, you know, uh, what was in those emails, but I can tell you on the day of, uh, we were on the phone with the province, with BC Housing, uh, looking around, and there was you know, there was enough housing there. Um, maybe not right directly in, you know, two blocks away from the downtown east side, but throughout the system. Um, we In Vancouver. Yeah, in Vancouver. And so if you look at actually what happened, every single person that put up their hands uh, uh, for uh, housing got it on April 5th and April 6th. All right, that was Vancouver Mayor Ken Sims speaking on CKNW yesterday. Joining us now, Eleanor Sturko, BC United MLA, also the mental health addiction and recovery critic. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks, Jill, for having me. Good morning. Good morning. What are your thoughts on the email that does show there, the officials knew moving into that camp that there weren't enough shelter beds, there weren't enough places for people to go, even though the mayor there is saying everybody who needed it was offered shelter? Well, I think it's, it's disturbing, to be honest. It's, it's sad. It's um, inappropriate. You know, and I think it's deceptive, particularly of the provincial government. You know, our, our premier, David Eby, had claimed that he would take over the management of the downtown east side last year. Um, he announced housing, which we know has not been made available. Um, and now that we know that people were displaced, it really shows a lack of compassion and, frankly, a lack of planning um, by the government. Even if there had been a number of shelter beds, though, and maybe this comes down to the type of shelter that's being offered, the mayor also talked about the fact that often when those beds were being offered to people who were living in tents, they didn't want them. They said, uh, thanks, but no thanks, and, and given the choice, didn't go into the bed. So doesn't that make it that even if there was a shelter bed for everybody, there was a majority of people living in that encampment that weren't going to go anyway? Well, I think it comes down to planning. And really, it's an example of how the government has failed to do the proper work, make the proper contacts and use appropriate techniques to get people into the safety that they need. And I'll give you an example. That is that when the decampment and shift of people from 135A in Surrey was done, that process actually took more than a year to complete. It started off with outreach on the street, identifying people, building relationships with those individuals, and then slowly over time, um, you know, helping win those people over to the idea of moving away from that area and into services. We've heard in media reports and from the lived experiences of people that went through that decampment that they felt that they weren't given enough notice. 
you have to understand that we're dealing with people with sometimes very complex mental health and concurrent addictions issues, and they are going to need some time to uh, adjust. They may have trust issues. They may have trauma that they're dealing with. And I think it's important that a plan be put in place so that people's needs can be met. Simply showing up with a dump truck, garbage cans, and then telling people that they have to go into a shelter doesn't cut it. For some people, that's going to be okay. But I think that we've really started to recognize, particularly over the last couple of years, that when we're dealing with people with complex needs and with trauma and with with concurrent issues, that they're going to need to have specialized care in order to win them over and to guide them to services. And I, I get what you're saying as well, that there isn't the housing available, there isn't that infrastructure in place. But at the same time, one of the arguments used for this, and, and we saw from the decampment, was dozens of propane tanks and uh, what the fire department was describing as very unsafe conditions. So the the other option can't be just to leave them set up and to leave these conditions, can it? No, absolutely not. But I think, Jill, what we have to recognize, too, is we're talking about a government in its sixth year We're talking about a premier who used to be the housing minister, a premier who cut his teeth on the downtown east side with Pivot Legal Society, who surely must have known the complex challenges and realities of working on a project like decampment in the Hastings area. So, I mean, you cannot say that this is something that overnight occurred and suddenly there appeared, you know, dozens and dozens of propane tanks. This is something that has been festering, frankly, for the last six years under this government. And just to show up with no appropriate plan, insufficient housing, and in fact, not only to have insufficient housing, but then to double down in places like question period and in media quotes to be deceptive and say that that there was adequate housing, that everyone who needed housing was given it is irresponsible, and frankly, it's dangerous. I want to ask you as well something that was brought out yesterday. Rob Shaw was talking about this earlier today, and it was the news conference with the chief coroner and with our provincial health officer, uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry. There was some suggestion about expanding safe supply, and Dr. Henry went so far as to say, perhaps, this isn't the plan, obviously, but saying perhaps safe supply of drugs like cocaine and other illicit drugs could become a system similar to the government-run cannabis system. As, as an MLA, as, as a former police officer, what are your thoughts on the province even looking at going in that direction? Well, two points, Jill. I think one of the things that they very difficultly tried to bury in the lead of this story was that they're actually taking a look now at hydromorphone safe supply after concerns have been raised by frontline physicians, which is something that this party, the BC United, has been raising for weeks. The government has been in full denial that there's any issues with the program, but now suddenly uh, buried within uh, the statement by these health officials is, in fact, that they are going to be reviewing that after concerns have come forward. So that's a step in the right direction. You know, I think that this is a question for perhaps Minister Whiteside or maybe even Premier Eby. When we were in uh, budget estimates, I firmly asked a series of questions on the expansion of safe supply and whether things like compassion clubs and these types of things would be part of the next phase of the, uh, pardon me, of safe supply. And I got a firm and very hostile uh, response of no, that it is not part. So if, in fact, um, the words of these health officials about wanting to move towards, um, you know, a free market in the same way that we have legalized um, cannabis, it's very concerning. And in fact, um, it's opposite of what I was told and that the public of British Columbia was told during budget estimates this year.
And so are you surprised to hear that then it's even being considered? I mean, some have gone so far as to say this is kind of the government taking over the role of drug dealer. Well, am I surprised? No, I'm not surprised. I think it's baked in ideology. Um, It's something I feel that a lot of activists, including activists that work for um, our very own public service, uh, would be happy to see. There are companies already positioning themselves um, to profit and to set up investment firms um, based on safer supply. I do think that we're making a very strange and bizarre attempt to supplant the illicit drug supply Uh, With pharmaceuticals, I think it's dangerous. And if you look at the failure of the legal cannabis trade to in any way really supplant our illicit cannabis supply, um, you'll see that people don't want government dope. They prefer street drugs if they're entrenched drug users. Even people, only less than 40% of British Columbians who use marijuana actually buy it from a store. The rest of them get it from drug dealers, uh, illicit supply. So uh, I think that... (laughs) Gosh, a lot more study would have to be done. I don't think it's a good idea, but not, um, you know, from my policing background, I'm thinking of what we already see evident in the safe supply program that there's concerns coming forward. And I don't see how we could possibly manage the risk of a, of a free um, market of publicly supplied addictive drugs. All right. Eleanor Sturko, thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me, Jill. Always a pleasure.